Morning, Fellowship. Lovely to see you here in the Platinum Room and in the online. Just so good to have you join us. My name is Ray, one of the pastors here. Just a couple of corrections. Number one, remember the Easter weekend will be celebrated. All of our services in the agenda for the Easter weekend, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. It won't be here on the Easter weekend, just to clarify that. The second thing is, if you're thinking about being baptised and then watching those waves in the video thinking, I'm going to drown. It's going to be a baptism to my death. No, here in Dubai, the waves are very... Well, there aren't any waves, basically. It's dead as a doornail, safe as anything. It's like getting baptised in a pool, so be assured, you will be safe. But hey, if it's the last time, you're going to go straight to be with the Lord. It is the living Lord Jesus we worship. And one of the last words Jesus said before he ascended into heaven is, go and make disciples of all nations. And how do we do that? By teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And one of those things is, of course, what Jesus teaches about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And we're all called to make disciples And we're all called to teach and obey all that Jesus has instructed. So now we look at this very thorny issue of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And I'm very mindful it's both painful and we come from different stories. Some of us are single, some of us are separated, some of us are married, some of us are divorced, some of us are remarried for the first, second, third time. You might be in a marriage that's very healthy and happy, unhealthy, unhealthy. or perhaps even abusive and uh, toxic. Uh, it may be that your situation is, is that you've never in your family had any divorce. Uh, you may come from a home where there has been divorce and you're still getting over the trauma of your parents breaking up. It might be your parents' divorce was the greatest relief in your life because there was so much abuse happening in the family home. So you can see that we all come to this from very different stories. But in the end, we've got to let God speak. Uh, We mustn't be harder than Jesus' word allows, nor must we kind of bend God's law to suit us. So what I'm doing today is I'm bringing together what Jesus says in Matthew 5 and in Matthew 19 on what he says on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. But we're going to focus mainly on Matthew 19 because it includes everything Matthew 5 says and extends it further. But the thing to remember on this very difficult subject is this, that the Jesus who is speaking is the Jesus who heals, who is speaking on divorce. And that's the first point. It is Jesus who heals. Look at verse uh, uh, 2, just to remind us, to set the context. Large crowds followed him, and he did what to them? He did what? He healed them. He is the life giver. Um, that the one who gives this really hard word on divorce and remarriage is the life giver, not the life taker. He's on his way to the cross where he will take the sins of the world upon himself. And that includes the sin of those who are single, married, divorced, remarried. He wants your good. Can you remember that as we journey through this passage? It's easy to forget it. Okay, so as we come, point two, Do we come to Jesus to trust him or to test him? Let's look at verse 3. Some Pharisees came to what? Test him. They weren't interested in trusting him. And they asked, and this is the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? 
There's the question. Now, at the time of Jesus, there were basically two groups of thought on divorce and remarriage. There was the easy view of divorce and remarriage. There was a hard view on divorce and remarriage. But really, the Pharisees have not come to nail the truth on these issues. They came to nail Jesus himself. And so that's why it's very important to ask right now, as you hear this message, what are your motives? Are you looking for a get-out-of-marriage-free pass? Are you really wanting to, even as you think about your own marriage, which is still in front of you, or perhaps behind you, are you trying to think, what should be my thoughts? Where should my heart be as I position it towards Jesus and his word? And thirdly, notice where Jesus goes for the answer to the question. Jesus answers from the Bible, not experience. Look at verse 4. His answer to the question, is it lawful to marry for any reason? Haven't you read? Read what? Shakespeare? No, the Bible. He replied, that at the beginning, the creator made the male and female. He goes to Genesis 1 and 2, way back before the fall. Normally, we start off with the brokenness of marriage and then try to build our understanding of marriage from the brokenness. Bible never does that. It always starts with God's original plan, Genesis 1 and 2, before we mucked it up in Genesis 3. And then from there, wants us to have that shape the way we ought to be thinking. Interesting to me, he doesn't go to counsellors and psychologists for an answer, though it's my opinion that everyone should go to a counsellor, but that's my opinion. He doesn't start with the pain of marriage or even the pleasure offered by another lover. He goes to God's original design. Can I say this? This is a phrase I like to use. Let us refuse to believe the lie that we're wiser than God. Do you believe that? Why don't we say that together? Let it fall off your lips. Let us refuse to believe the lie that we're wiser than God. That is a good thing to say to yourself every day, <laughs> but especially when you read the Bible. I always sometimes on difficult issues, I write down what I want the Bible to say, then I write down what the Bible does say, and I'm going to say, Ray, which one are you going to believe? What you want or what God wants? And then I tell myself, refuse to believe the lie, Raymond that you are wiser than God, because you're not. Okay, well, what is God's view of marriage? Point four, it's this. What God has joined together, let no one separate, let no one tear apart. Uh, let's read verses five and six. He says, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. So from the very beginning, God made one race, two genders, male and female. Isn't that loving of God? We're not tortured with the curse of endless options. God really works on the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> and we're told in Genesis 2, that lovely story, how, how God made Eve from the rib of Adam. Now, that was very important. In the time of the, of the ancients, they often reduced women to the animal world, but not the Bible. God sees women as equal to men, and that woman came from man, and every man will then come from a woman. And there's a lovely rabbi, an ancient rabbi, who said this about that. He said this. 
She was made, that is the woman Eve, was made not from his head to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. Don't you love that? And then Jesus quotes Genesis 2.24. A man will leave his father and mother, that is your partner, or to outrank your parents then, from the moment you get married. Leave or cleave to his wife. The word for cleave is actually used of leprosy on a body. That is, you can't get rid of it. It's stuck on you. Why? Because the two have become one flesh. And God locates the precious gift of sex within the marriage covenant. Well, that's what Genesis 2.24 says. And then Jesus comes along and says, let me give you my commentary on that. He says this in verse 6. So, they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together... And that's almost like a warning as well as a promise. God marriages. Up until the wedding day, you're two. From the moment you make those promises before God and others, you become one. One in body, one in, one in soul, one in spirit. You still don't lose your personality, of course. You're still distinct humans, but you've aligned your life in every possible way. Uh, and up until that day, up until that moment, you are too. And that's why, like my sister-in-law, she broke the engagement six months, six weeks before her wedding day. Because she worked out it's better to break it before you get married than afterwards. And that is why Matthew 5, after, and that's after you put a deposit on the reception center, I mean, there's a lot of pre- Never let the pressure of the event stop you from doing something you're going to regret afterwards. And that's why in Matthew 5, after Jesus speaks on marriage, the next topic is on keeping your word. Letting your yes be yes, no, no, and everything else comes from the evil one. Because marriage is built what? It's built on faithfulness before it's even built on love. It's built on people being people of their word. I, Ray, take you, Sandy, to be my lawful lettered, my lawful lettered wedded wife to have the whole from this day forward, for better or for worse, sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, as long as we both shall live. December the 15th, 1984. <laughs> or was it December the 10th? <laughs> it was one of those dates anyway. <laughs> or as one Chinese couple said in their vows, when you are old and lose your teeth, I will chew your food for you. Beautiful. Whatever works for you. You see, you know, God hates divorce, and so does everybody else, really. But he does not hate divorced people. Remember that. But the plan is that when you approach marriage, you are approaching marriage for as long as you both shall live. That I plan to leave this marriage in a coffin. That's not because my spouse is going to kill me, but that's because I'm going to stick at it till I breathe my last breath. And then you are free to remarry. And don't ever make a widow or a widower feel bad for remarrying another believer after their spouse has died, even if that widow or widower is your mum or dad. Because it can be hard, isn't it? You know, those of you who've had your mum and dad remarry after your, 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 their spouse has died, it, it is hard. It feels like they're being disloyal, but they are absolutely free to remarry. 
And marriage, what is it? It's a covenant between a man and a woman to the exclusion of all others. It's a temporary covenant. It's not there. It, it's only for as long as you live. I always remember talking to a, a girl. She was engaged. And she read in the Bible that marriage doesn't go on forever, just, just for this life. She was so disappointed. I think she pictured heaven like a, a cinema where she's sitting in the back seat with her husband for all eternity. And yet I know people have been in difficult marriages. They're very relieved to know that it ends at death. <laughs> Depends what perspective you come from. But marriage is really a covenant, a, a microcosm, a small version of the ultimate eternal covenant between Christ and his church. That's why heaven is described as an eternal wedding reception that never ends. And that's why good marriages especially in this age, good marriages always end up making Jesus look good. Now the Pharisees think, I've got you, Jesus, because, because they know the Bible does permit divorce. This, Deuteronomy 24, point five, divorce is a gracious concession to hard hearts. Look at verse 7. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus corrects them. God never commanded divorce. He permitted divorce in Deuteronomy 24. And look at verse 8. This is his response to their challenge. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives but because your hearts were hard. But that was not that way. But that was not, sorry, but it was not this way from the beginning. So it's always seen as a concession, never the ideal um, and that's why it's never to be celebrated. I, I had some people once say to me, is it, is it okay as Christians to go to a divorce party? And I know the particular divorce where the, the woman herself was very abused. And so the, the divorce was a, a real relief for her. And yet even there, I would never celebrate a divorce because it always, it's never was God's intent. It's just sad. It's caused usually by someone in a marriage doing the wrong thing, and it's, and it's been permitted because of hard hearts. This is not what we celebrate. God had given an inch in permitting divorce, and everyone was taking a mile and abusing it. Women at the time of Jesus were being divorced over burnt toast and, and, and then abandoned and uh, taken advantage of. And so Jesus is just lifting the bar on marriage. Point six, when divorce becomes adultery... Verse 9, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, what I want you to do is I want, I want you to add, uh, I want to add what Jesus says in Matthew 19 with what he says in Matthew 5, and you end up with these three statements. The one who divorces his spouse and remarries another is guilty of committing adultery. The one who divorces his spouse, their spouse, is guilty of their parents, of, sorry, their partner's adultery. And the one who marries a divorcee is guilty of adultery. Oh my goodness, he's got you at every angle. He's just lifted the bar so high. He's made marriage so hard in that sense. And I tell you, that takes a lot of guts because John the Baptist got his head chopped off for telling Herod that he shouldn't have married his brother's wife. So it's not like Jesus is saying this is in a safe environment. But I haven't told you the whole story, have I? Because point seven, there is permission for divorce and remarriage. Now at this point, I want to say I'm very mindful that there are Christians and pastors who are godly, who have different views on this matter. 
So we're walking and talking in one of those fields where you can actually, you disagree, you can disagree with another Christian on some of the details of this. But nevertheless, what I'm about to say is essentially the mainstream Bible-believing position. But I also want to say, too, that uh, there are, even on staff, there will be some differences even amongst the pastors. But what I see here are some, an exemption, a uh, permission given for divorce and remarriage. And the first one is marital unfaithfulness. Look at verse 9 again. Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Take the phrase except for sexual immorality out and divorce and remarriage is equivalent to adultery. Put it in and it's seen as a permission for that to take place with Jesus' blessing. And that is why Jesus spoke uh, so seriously about lust and adultery in Matthew 5, just before he speaks about marriage, because he knows that adultery can dissolve a marriage. Now, that's hard. For the modern mind, sex is just a commodity. It's like having a meal with no strings attached, friends with benefits. It's like, this is such a different world. But in my mind, Jesus has such a high view of where sexual relationships should take place, that when it happens outside the marriage covenant, it is taken so seriously that even a one-night stand can dissolve a marriage. The moment you sleep with another person you're married to, you lose the right to keep it a secret. Your spouse, but let me put it another way, your spouse has a right to know where your body has been. Because theologically, it's actually their body. Now, don't read this as an encouragement to divorce. Um, the ideal is always, the thing you want to aspire for is always forgiveness and reconciliation. What is the Bible? It's 66 books telling one story of the love of God pursuing his unfaithful bride, his people, who to the point where he lays down his life at the cross for her. True story, my friend, uh, his wife left him and ended up living with her boss, who he ended, and then eventually was going to marry them. And just before she was going to marry her boss, she calls my friend, whom she left, and a few days before the wedding, she said, I just want you to know, I, I still love you. And at that point, given everything she's done, you know what he said? Darling, it's not too late. Come back and I'll marry you. I'll, I'll have you back. In spite of the fact that you left me for another man, you're days away from that, that, other, that other wedding, come back to me and keep the vows that you made to me. I thought, wow, how godlike is that? He was actually free to let her go, but he actually had the heart of Jesus to want to welcome her back. And yet, I can't be harder than Jesus, who says to victims of adultery, you're free to divorce and remarry with his permission. The other reason given for permission, I think, is in 1 Corinthians 7, when, uh, when it's a, uh, abandonment, when your unbelieving spouse leaves you. Look at chapter 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15. 
Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. What he's saying is, you're no longer, if your unbelieving spouse has, has left you because of your newfound faith, and that, that position, is, it looks like it's permanent, then Paul is saying you're no longer bound by the restrictions of divorce and remarriage, that you are free to remarry if your unbelieving spouse leaves you. Now, you notice in both cases, it's something the other part has done, not what you have done. They were unfaithful. They have abandoned you. You just make sure that you're committed to preserving the marriage where, where possible. And I want to say there's actually a place for separation too. The, the Bible recognizes it, and it's not the same as divorce. Point eight, separation is not divorce. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 picks up this issue again, and he says this. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. So Paul recognizes that in a broken world, separation happens. Um, but it, even there, it needs to happen on God's terms. It needs to happen with an orientation of still wanting to restore the relationship where possible. Uh, in the case of abuse, not only can separation happen, sometimes it needs to happen to shake things up. You know, it, it's, it's never loving to allow your spouse to keep abusing you and your children. It's actually not loving to them. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes people respond to consequences far more than they respond to words. Too many pastors have got blood on their hands sending people back into abusive marriages. So if that's happening, tell one of the pastors. You know, uh, I sometimes say it in blunt ways. We'll even pack your bags if it's necessary. Because, uh, and we've been treated, uh, Pastor Tim, so we, we've all got our stories of being threatened by violent husbands in particular and, and saying to those husbands, you know, we are more committed to your marriage than you are because you are destroying your marriage and we want to help you restore your marriage by protecting you from yourself and your wife and children from you. Because the reality is sometimes people respond to consequences far more than they do words. And what we've seen at times by the grace of God in the midst of separation, that the abuser finally wakes up to himself or herself and recognizes the damage that they've done. They begin a journey of repentance that's resulted in marriages blossoming into healthy, wonderful marriages. And you know what? Some are here today as evidence of that. Doesn't always happen, but boy, it's a beautiful thing when it happens. The goal of separation is always with the pot of the posture of wanting to make the marriage work. If there's any chance of restoring the original marriage in a safe way, let's make let's try to make it happen. Now, look at the strong reaction by the disciples to Jesus' teaching. Point nine: the strong reaction to Jesus' teaching. Verse ten. This is the disciples, Peter, James, John, Judas, that is Thomas. The disciples said to him, well, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Isn't that an odd reaction? But they had such a low view of divorce and remarriage. They had such an easy view of divorce and remarriage that they think, really? You mean I'm stuck with her for the rest of my life? Well, maybe I better not get married. These are the disciples of Jesus. That's why he's discipling them, you see. (laughs) 
He's helping them learn this is not the way God wants it to be. They were so used to it that they, they just wanted a free, easy, get out, of, get out of marriage pass. And what it showed was that they really had no idea that Jesus' way of approaching marriage was filled with so much goodness for the couple, for the children, for the society. And people keep thinking, I'm wiser than God. So they hear they, they hear the promises made in marriage. They think, oh, I don't want to go to that road. What I'll do is I'll just live with someone. I'll try it before I buy it. And if it works, we can then get married. And I'm telling you, the data now has been out across all continents for decades on the damage done in de facto relationships. They have a higher breakup rate than marriages. The children always... Uh, thrive better in marriages than they do in de facto relationships. We've got to stop refusing. We've got to stop thinking we're wiser than God. My friend was talking to and I'll tell you the reason why, because people aren't clear what they're doing in a de facto relationship, most of the time anyway. I had a friend of mine, he was talking to a couple who were living together, and he said, how long do you plan to keep this relationship going? At exactly the same time, he, she said forever, he said three years. <laughs> Awkward. How did that happen? Because they never spoke about the terms of their relationship. That's what marriage does. It's a formal covenant promise. You're articulating, you're saying before God, before others, this is what I promise to you, this is what you're promising to me. So every know, everyone knows exactly what's going on. And yes, Marriage isn't for everyone. The disciples were right. For some, it's better not to marry because the singleness and marriage are both gifts from God and they need to be honoured that way. Okay, some personal wrap-ups. Number one, together we've got to work hard at guarding marriages and preserving marriage. Whether you're single, you're married, you're divorced, you're widowed or you're remarried. Never place yourself in a situation where you're undermining and eroding the marriage of another person, another marriage. I mean, that's a, remember the warning, what God has joined together? That's a warning from the judge of all the earth saying that. But nor should you abandon someone in a toxic, abusive marriage either. See how we're juggling a couple of principles? So you know the way we guard marriages is actually by gathering. gathering you gather regularly under God's word with God's people, meet in small groups, do the enrichment courses all the time. Because who else is going to tell you about Jesus' view of marriage? I mean, seriously, the criteria for divorce now around the world is irreconcilable differences. Well, that's left a trail of disaster behind it. <laughs> but to those who've been divorced and remarried, if you're in that box, you're in two categories. You're either heard this talk and you think, you know, I do believe my divorce and remarriage was within the bounds of God's permission. Then you have nothing to be ashamed of. Hold your head high, you have nothing to be ashamed of. Your culture might condemn you for your divorce and remarriage, but Jesus doesn't. But you might be in that category where you think, actually, I think my remarriage was birthed in sin, my divorce was birthed in sin. Take, for example, David and Bathsheba. Well, what did he do? He confessed it. The response to discovering that my marriage actually wasn't founded on God's terms, your response to that is 
ought to be the response of all of us when whenever we've discovered we've done the wrong thing. Repent and receive the grace of God. Don't deal with your shame by justifying what you have done to God and to others. That's not the way you do it. David in Psalm 51 says, have mercy on me, a sinner. Often it can't be undone. Two wrongs don't make a right. The way to go forward is to, is to name it for what it is and then to move forward. And then finally, divorce has such devastating consequences on people, on their partners, on their children, on society itself, that, uh, that we want to get help to you. And I, but before I move on to what that help is, I want you to tune into the pain caused by unfaithfulness and divorce. Here's the story of a woman whose husband um, was unfaithful to her and then ended up marrying the person whom he slept with. Just hear her pain as she tells the story. She said, When I was told by my husband about his adultery, it was like standing on a chasm and looking down into this big black sinkhole with no end. The word despair wouldn't even begin to summarize it all. It felt overwhelmingly blacker than black. I couldn't even fathom the possibility that there'd be a light at the end of the tunnel to the point that six months later, six months later, I could have easily driven over a bridge. I mourned the loss of broken promises and vows. There was no more us in the future. When I was at home, I grieved alone. My pain and loss was my own. No spouse to be there as we promised to one another those many years ago. I experienced and felt total abandonment and rejection, not only by his actions, but by his words. I still carried that pain, the realization of how deceitful they had been and the lies that were told to hide their actions. I felt dirty and violated in what was once my home. My self-esteem and self-worth as a woman, as a wife, a friend, had been totally destroyed, even though... He was the one that had betrayed and broken our relationship. Can you hear the devastation of adultery and divorce? And that's why we want to get help. In April, we're going to start divorce care. We want you to express your interest if it's you. But I want you to do more than that because it wants to provide help, hope and healing. I'd love everyone right now to get out their phones and take a photo of that QR code. Would you do it? And I'll explain why. Would you do it now? I'll wait because it's so important. Because I'll tell you why everyone needs to do it. Because you might be in a happy marriage or you may be single and you think, well, this isn't for me. But you know people who go, you, you are and will know people who are going through divorce. They may be believers inside the church. They may be people at work who are just doing it really tough. Their partner has left them. They're just struggling. And you think, I don't know how to care for them. Great. Give them the QR code. Because this is for believers and it's for unbelievers. And I can't tell you over the years how many people have come to Christ through a crisis of divorce and had people journey along with them and minister to them the grace of God. I'm so excited. We already had 40 people sign up from uh, Creekside two weeks ago. Let me be very clear. However you've landed in your divorce and remarriage, it's not the unforgivable sin. You know, in John chapter 4, Jesus met a woman at the world. Remember the Samaritan woman? 
You know, she'd be married one, two, three, four, five times. She was living with number six, but she finally met the man of her dreams, number seven. It was Jesus. She'd been looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces. And then she met Jesus, who split open her life, who exposed all her sins, and then came and ministered to her by giving her life-giving message of salvation and filled her with his spirit and set her free. And she was so excited, she went to the village and said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Normally that would be scary, right? But she was absolutely thrilled for she met the love of her life. I wonder if you've met the love of your life. It's not your spouse, you know, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. His arms are wide open. He's ready to receive you. Before I go, I want to say this. There's, in, every, in every decent marriage, there's usually one person who's carrying the marriage, one person who's godly and hanging in there, putting up with more than they should. And I want to say if that's you and you're here today, we honour you. Often, your spouse probably knows, but if they don't, God knows. And before you awaits those precious words, well done, good and faithful servant. So keep hanging in there. It's worth it. Let's pray. Oh, precious Father, you are a faithful God whose son lovingly died for us. You're unfaithful people. That's what we are. We thank you for your precious blood that washes away all those failures that we have committed, whether we're single, married, widowed, divorced, remarried. Lord, may we side with Jesus and heed those warnings that what God has joined together, let none of us separate and tear apart. And Lord, whether we're single or married, help us to guard the marriage bed, but also to protect the person in an abusive marriage as well. And may we all, Lord, pursue healthy, loving marriages so that we can bring up children in safe homes where they feel loved and secure. But even more important than that, so that we can make Jesus look good. And we pray all this in Jesus' loving name. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen. You want a final tip before I go? Here's a final tip. If you pray with your spouse regularly, your likelihood of divorce goes from one in three to one in a thousand. If you pray regularly with your spouse, you go from a 33% likelihood of having a divorce rate to a 0.01% of having a divorce. Is not God's way the best way? So let's praise him in our next song.